There are, it would appear, certain wholly unremarkable persons with none of the characteristics that invite adventure, who yet once or twice in the course of their smooth lives undergo an experience so strange that the world catches its breath and looks the other way. And it was cases of this kind, perhaps more than any other, that fell into the widespread net of John Silence, the psychic doctor, and, appealing to his deep humanity, to his patience, and to his great qualities of spiritual sympathy, led often to the revelation of problems of the strangest complexity and of the profoundest possible human interest. That is from the opening of Ancient Sorceries by Algernon Blackwood, one of the many stories about famed psychic doctor John Silence. That's right. John Silence is back, although uncharacteristically silent in this story. <laughs> We've covered Dr. Silence before. This particular story was first published in John Silence, Physician Extraordinary, in 1908. And it is such a popular story that it is now often the title track in Blackwood anthologies, as in the Penguin Classics edition, Ancient Sorceries, and Other Weird Stories. Edited by S.T. Joshi. Yeah, it's got a really cool name, Ancient Sorceries. It does, yeah. And that Ancient Sorceries and Other Weird Stories, I think, also includes The Willows and uh, The Wendigo, which we've discussed on the show before. Our reader this week is none other than our famed and beloved voice performer, Greg Johnson. Greg, thanks for coming back. I thought a, a John Silent story would be good for the uh, creative Quiet and Bold. Please check out Quiet and Bold, and you could hear uh, the comedy stylings of Greg, myself, and Rachel. I just want to bring up again that Rachel and myself, my wife Rachel, do a mm-hmm. podcast called Rachel Watches Star Trek, where I get Rachel to watch the original episodes of Star Trek. She has never watched Star Trek before this and isn't really into science fiction, but she is clever and she's funny. And she has a great take on all this stuff. So it's a really entertaining show. Even if you don't like Star Trek, people have written in and said, I don't like Star Trek and I love your show. So please Mm -hmm. check out Rachel Watches Star Trek at rachelwatchesstartrek.com. It's certainly very fertile uh, material to discuss, even if you don't (laughs) want to sit through that whole hour. A lot of crazy things happen on that show. A lot of crazy things happen. While we're uh, pushing things, I just wanted to ask folks to not forget to visit chadpfeiffer.bandcamp.com, where you can pick up soundtracks from this show, as well as my latest release, Fear Boys with Bugs, which is a collection of 20-year-old songs that will make you feel 20 years old again. chadpfeiffer.bandcamp.com. Go there and pick that stuff up. Do it. Pick it up. Fear Boys with Bugs. I love it so much. I listen to it often and with great vigor. Yes, with vigor. Holy smoke. I actively listen to it. Uh, yeah, I'm listening. It's raw, but it's awesome. And that is why it is raw, because it is pure. <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about, but I just love I it. I do. I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> I just got to see you uh, recently within the last couple weeks. To Necronomicon Providence 2017, and it was a great con as always. We had a lot of fun. Yeah. Saw a lot of great people. It was a blast. Just great to be a part of such a big thing. I hope we get to do it again. Great to let people know what we look like. (laughs) It's it's odd for folks. I listen to you all the time, but it's weird to have you standing here. And I go, yeah. (laughs) Try and creep them out a little bit. Let's make this weirder. I got more walking around time uh, this time at the convention. Oh, yeah. So I got to do the Donovan Lauk's, you know, walking tour around we College did. Hill. Well, I, I didn't do the one that he leads because the scheduling didn't work out, but he's sure. got a little map oh, right. with citations on his site, 
hplovecraft.com. Yeah. So I was able to look at that on my phone and wander around and recapture a little of that Lovecraft magic. We don't yeah. cover his stories as much anymore, so you forget when you're there looking at the, the houses and the atmosphere of Providence. So cool. You know what else is on hplovecraft.com? No. The essay, Supernatural Horror and Literature. Yes. And in that essay, Lovecraft talks a bit about our author today, Algernon Blackwood. And we may have read this before, but it's worth mentioning again. Of the quality of Mr. Blackwood's genius, there can be no dispute. For no one has even approached the skill, seriousness, and minute fidelity with which he records the overtones of strangeness and ordinary things and experiences, or the preternatural insight with which he builds up detail by detail, the complete sensations and perceptions leading from reality into supernormal life or vision. Without notable command of the poetic witchery of mere words, he is the one absolute and unquestioned master of weird atmosphere, and can evoke what amounts almost to a story from a simple fragment of humorless psychological description. Above all others, he understands how fully some sensitive minds dwell forever on the borderland of dream, and how relatively slight is the distinction betwixt those images formed from actual objects and those excited by the play of the imagination. Mm. Wanted to bring that out because I think it really tees up this story. Mm-hmm. which is a journey from reality into supernormal life or vision. Mm-hmm. It all comes to play in the story Ancient Sorceries. Lovecraft had this specifically to say about Ancient Sorceries. He says, perhaps it's the finest tale in the book. It gives an almost hypnotically vivid account of an old French town where once the unholy Sabbath was kept by all the people in the form of cats. Spoiler alert. Guess I should have said spoiler alert before I read that. <laughs> Although if you if you listen to the Poor Farm episodes, we did already spoil that for you. Yeah, people know. Because remember in that story, the protagonist wrote in his journal, sat in bed reading Algernon Blackwood's witch cat story, Ancient Sorceries. Nowhere near as good as Mackin or as his own tale, The Willows. And it made me think of those seven cats. Yeah. And it was a way for him to segue into talking about the cats and the story, yep. revealing their characters and their names, etc. But as Ken pointed out, as Ken Hype pointed out, that story was about a stranger in a strange land. And this story, Ancient Sorceries, is about a stranger in a strange land. Yeah. They share that connection at the right moment. That's really why we're talking about today. So why don't we just jump into it yes. and see what it's all about. Yeah, so the story starts off with John Silence talking to this fella, Arthur Vezin. Now, John Silence isn't the narrator of the story. There's a another person that's telling us the story and John Silence is part of Arthur Vezin telling the story to the narrator. So he's around. Yeah. And there's a few other guys as well. I don't quite understand who the narrator is or what's happening, but John Silence has actually heard Arthur Vezin tell this story before. Yeah, this story is whoever this narrator is. And I think maybe it'll be, uh, we did that story, The Camp of the Dog. Right. And Dr. Silence had an assistant named Hubbard. You think it's Hubbard? And so maybe it could be Hubbard, but he's saying, I've been around before when... Vezin has told the story to Dr. Silence, and this is how the conversation goes. Yeah. So Dr. Silence is really a passive person in here. He's not going to do any cool, no. pull out a laser and fight a vampire or anything like that. Right. Which is unfortunate. It's always unfortunate when that yeah. doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. The narrator says that Vezin is just an ordinary guy. People like him have a hard time dealing with strange, weird things, while men of adventure can understand and classify almost anything. Right. And in addition, I think that what he's saying is more like to the outside world. It does not make sense when something extraordinary happens to a very ordinary person. You know, like if there's a ghost out there karate chopping people, you would expect crazy Aunt Flo to be one of people that got karate chopped. She's just open to it. Sure. But not the mild-mannered guy you see every day in accounting. Right. He wears a t-shirt that says, I've got mad spreadsheets, yo. And that's as crazy as his life is allowed to get. (laughs) And Vezin is this type of guy. He's incredibly by the book. He's a commonplace person. It's odd for him to get involved in something crazy. It just 
it just says in his, in his profile, I think Blackwood's going to lead us into this really surreal world. And it's important to him that he anchors the story with a very grounded protagonist. This is not somebody who would go out seeking a surreal world to investigate. And this guy takes his car. I mean, this is the kind of guy that takes his car into the mechanic for preventative care. You know, he doesn't wait until there's something wrong like most of us. <laughs> so for him to have experienced an otherworldly event, you know, he's probably telling the truth about it. There's right. also that yeah. reason for making him so grounded as well. His story that he's telling, his run in with the unexplained, he would tell this story over and over again because it was by far the craziest thing that ever happened to him. It happened to him when he was just over 40 years old. Right. So not only is he average in every way, he's also in his 40s, which is gross. Ugh. (laughs) And he's embarrassed to tell his story because he knows it's outrageous. The tale became a lengthy apology for an experience that he deprecated. He appeared to excuse himself and ask your pardon for having dared to take part in so fantastic an episode. For little Vezin was a timid, gentle, sensitive soul rarely able to assert himself, tender to man and beast, and almost constitutionally unable to say no or to claim many things that should rightly have been his. So John Silence says that he's heard Vezin tell the story a few times, each time a bit different, but the story he actually believes is true. And, you know, he says little details will change when he tells it. And I think that actually lends credibility to the story. Hmm. There's a movie I saw a few years ago, German film, it was called The Lives of Others. And it's about this interrogator from East Germany. Mm-hmm. In the beginning, he explains his interrogation technique as you watch him interrogate somebody. And he's saying, liars, you know, they will fall back on a narrative they've created. When somebody tells you the truth, their story is going to change every time because they'll remember another little detail. It becomes fluid. Mm-hmm. It's an active thing they're recalling from their brain. Yeah. But somebody who's lying to you, you're going to hear the same details and the same sentences and the same story over and over because they've got to fall back on that false story that they've created. And it's got a certain right. set of facts and they're going to use them every time. So the fact that this story this guy tells, the fact that it has changes in it, that it is kind of malleable mm-hmm. in its retelling actually makes it seem more like something that actually happened to him. I can see that. Wow, that's that's interesting. I, I didn't really know that about interrogation. I'm gonna have to work on my uh, on my lies. Yeah, you make sure you got a few. You got a bag of lies in there, and be confused about some details. That'll help you. Good, good to know. If you're like, I got up at 10 a.m. and then I did this and I did that. Forget some things you did in that one hour, and it'll make it seem more like you you're telling the truth. <laughs> <laughs> I'm writing this down. Yeah. Uh, the story happens when Vezin was on a train in France on his way back to England. He talks about how there was a bunch of other English people on the train, and it made him feel a bit embarrassed. They all just kind of stood out like tourists. It says they clashed about like a brass band. <laughs> you know, he just wants to enjoy the serenity of the trip, but they're everywhere. They're being noisy. I've been there. You're on a train, sure, and you just wish yeah. everybody would shut up. So the train stopped at a station in northern France, and the idea of getting off this train and staying in this town for a while, getting another slower train with less people on it, seems like a really good idea to him because it's just ram packed full of people. Fewer people, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) And he felt like it was a... (laughs) So he goes, yeah, that is a really good idea. I'm going to go with that. So he gets up to make his way off the train, uh, but the train is so full that he can't actually get to the door. So he asks this old Frenchman who was sitting across from him, he was sitting across from him the whole time, if you would hand him his bags when he climbs out of the window. (laughs) I don't think that's what happened, but I enjoyed it because what? our story our story last week, I was wondering, did he just shoot out of the window and roll? I don't know. There's all these people jumping out of train windows. What happened here is actually he, he got out onto the platform to take a break when they got to the stop, meaning to get back on the train. 
But when he looks around and he decides to split, he needs his bag. But it's so crowded on the stairs and on the train that he can't get to his bag. So he taps on the window and gestures to the Frenchman to hand hand it through the window to him while he's already still. Okay, that makes more sense. (laughs) But I I don't know. We've got this weird uh, guys jumping out of trains through windows thing. uh, (laughs) Well, I just I I think what was stuck in my head is there. Have you seen these videos of people in India on trains where Mm -hmm. they they are on the roof? They're hanging off the sides, like just it's full of people, like ram packed mm-hmm. full of people. It, I mean, it's insanely dangerous. And my my son was freaked out by the video just because he was like, "This, that's dangerous. What are they doing?" Because you know, <laughs> Albert's very safe and cautious. You know, mm-hmm. so when he saw all those people just sitting on the roof of the train, he you know blew his mind. So for Good. some reason, in my in my head, I think I was thinking all those people were just crammed in there and they're like hanging and he couldn't get out so he just yeah. climbed out through the train which is what these people did in these videos well i think that would be a much better way to, i mean he's just like i gotta get out of here <laughs> <He's> <laughs> well, he yeah, i wasn't saying he burst through it like jean-claude van damme i'm just saying that it was open the window and got out that way instead of having to climb over all these people try and get people out i don't know why i'm still defending it i'm wrong i know that's not what you were saying but wouldn't it be nice if he punched his way through the window <laughs> like jean-claude van damme <laughs> yes Thank you. It would be a much better story. Well, there's this Frenchman, right, that hands him his bag. Yes. This old Frenchman uh, gives him a cautious look. He says uh, half of warning, half of reproach that to his dying day he could never forget. But then he says something to Vezin, but he can only make out a bit of it. And it's and my French is terrible here. So it's a cause de sommeil et cause des chats, which means because of sleep and because of the cats. Besson doesn't really speak much French, so he's really confused by this, as would I. Uh, you know, that's a very strange yeah. thing to say to somebody. So Besson says that the old man seemed really nice and not creepy. So it wasn't him just, you know, being a, a zany, weird kind of guy. He was just like this nice old guy, and he was trying to communicate something to him. Yeah, and in fact, they'd had this kind of non-verbal verbal bond while they were riding on the train. That right. silent kind of camaraderie. Without saying anything, they just kind of both knew, hey, I'd help this guy out if something goes wrong. If some kind of dumb improv anywhere flash mob breaks out on the train, we've got each other's backs. We won't participate. <laughs> it's that kind of unspoken thing. So Besson does think that the guy also said something about the town, like some kind of warning about it or someplace in it. But again, he couldn't make it out. Dr. Silence is keenly interested in this part of the story, and he asks a few questions without wanting to interrupt too much. He's a presence in the story, but he just only jumps in here and there. This is obviously that warning from the town's person that we get in weird fiction. Sure. You know, the guardian of the gate. Yeah. We saw it in our story, the tree last week. Again, we had a train ride, and then the mm-hmm. carriage driver is like, well, where you're going, you might not want to stay. Or I can't remember what he said, but it was disgust and poor farm. You know, the townspeople warning you, don't go to that castle. Here's that beat. We have to have it. It's a weird tale. So Vezin goes into the village. It's cute and quaint, and all the villagers look the part. It seems very old and adorable, and Vezin says that the town made him feel soothed like a stroked cat. Stroke that cat. (laughs) Silence uh, repeats the last part because it's relevant and that there is no need for subtlety in this story. (laughs) Not at all. The inn Uh, in the town had a low ceiling, and it was very cute as well. The welcome wasn't warm, however... But it wasn't rude either. He said uh-huh. he felt like a dog in a room full of cats. Cats, cats, cats. If Robert E. Howard read the story, he'd be like, cool it with the cat imagery. <laughs> you guys are going overboard. <laughs> and the atmosphere in this place is really rewarding to him because he made this impulsive decision to get off the train. And it's so unlike him to have done that. He says the delicious cup of afternoon tea he ordered at once made him feel very pleased with himself for leaving mm-hmm. the train in this bold, original way. But I relate to that. You know, I've been in traffic on road trips. You're stuck. Mm -hmm. Saying, you know what, this is lousy. Let's just pull off, check out a town I've never been to, 
see what the restaurants are like, you know? And it's always yeah. good. Like, wow, this Red Lobster's totally different than the one we had. <laughs> it's rewarding. So I think it was credible for him to do this. But I also think that Blackwood has gone to such pains to point out what a normal routine guy he is yeah. so that we could also have this feeling maybe him jumping off the train wasn't entirely his decision yes maybe there's some kind of unconscious thing going on a connection between he and this cat town so the room was cheap and tucked away from the road and very quiet and restful everything's swathed in soft fabric there's even like i imagine it's like a studio space or something it's got soundproofing on the walls <laughs> blocks out the noise <laughs> So when he came back down to have a little walk around town, the woman who's the proprietor of the place approaches him. She's very short and heavy set, but she moves with a, a slow, lazy fashion. But she also gave him the impression that she could move quickly if needed. Mm. She has this bearing of a great tabby cat, an excellent mouser. Bezin felt like she can go from a lazy walk to a pounce in a heartbeat. Like a cat. Everybody is cat-like. Before he meets her, he, he meets in the hotel an elderly waiter with dundreary whiskers and a drowsy courtesy who had ambled lazily toward him across the stone yard. I mean, it really is over the top that these are all cat people. But I enjoyed it. The writing is really good. I like the way that they're described. But I, I feel like he is insulting me. Like, it's, it's already <laughs> there. Like, all of his descriptions are great. Yeah. And then he ends the paragraph, almost every paragraph with like a cat or cat like it's like no I, I get it your writing's fine you don't need to put like it's like when somebody tells you a joke and they explain the punchline after it it's like you know i got it oh that always makes a joke better always makes it <laughs> it's very frustrating i mean it goes on and on in the story but i felt like if he was trying to hide it somehow it would be so obvious that the, like if he was describing the people and not calling it out you'd also say stop insulting my intelligence it's clear they're all cat people why don't you just be out worried about it i just feel like he went that other way sure you did go that other way you did you did uh, and i uh, like it and i'm glad that you like that uh, <laughs> so she tells Vezin that dinner's at seven and people don't usually stay out late around these parts yeah you should go to bed early don't pay attention to what happens at night he goes out for a walk in town and it's calm and peaceful it makes him purr and the whole town purrs with him. And I'm assuming this is metaphorical at this point. Yeah, maybe. Maybe maybe it's not. Maybe he's actually purring. Pretty weird scene. Well, the locals don't really notice him. They don't bother him. And it's odd, he says, because he's got an obviously English appearance. So I guess he's wearing a Doctor Who shirt and a courtroom <laughs> wig and eating a crumpet. I don't know. But apparently it's very obvious that he's English. And the town is sleepy and it's lazy. Seems to him like a being lying there half asleep on the plane and crooning to itself as it dozed. Yeah. And resisted saying like a cat there. Yeah, there. Right there he, he does. So we get a very long description of the town and its dreamlike qualities. Uh, there's actually a band, a musical group of individuals playing music which is kind of strange. And they're not playing any tune, just kind of this weird random stuff that seems very soothing. And then he hears some animals cry out, but it's like a singing cry. Yeah. Like not, not like a, a cry of anguish, but like maybe like a, a cat howling or, or, or something like that, mm -hmm. or, or a wolf, probably a cat. It's, it's probably, probably a, cat. a cat. Yeah. I, I liked this whole scene though, because you couldn't quite see the band below this bridge. You could just hear the music and it doesn't make much sense. There was a certain queer sense of bewitchment in it all. The music seemed to him oddly unartificial. It made him think of trees swept by the wind, of night breezes singing among wires and chimney stacks or in the rigging of invisible ships. Or, and the simile leapt up in his thoughts with a sudden sharpness of suggestion, a chorus of animals, of wild creatures, somewhere in desolate places of the world, crying and singing as animals will to the moon. 
He could fancy he heard the wailing, half-human cries of cats upon the tiles at night, rising and falling with weird intervals of sound, and this music, muffled by distance and the trees, made him think of a queer company of these creatures on some roof far away in the sky, uttering their solemn music to one another and the moon in chorus. As he walks back to the inn, Vezin feels like he's almost under some kind of spell. Yeah, it's not just the oddness of the place, but it seems to awaken something inside him as well. And there were other bizarre incidents in his walk around the town. Yeah, he says that as he walked down the street that people are busy. You know, they're going here and there. They're talking to each other. They seem to pay absolutely no attention to him at all. But he got the impression that they were looking at him. Yeah. They were paying attention, but acting like they weren't paying attention. He couldn't really catch them staring at him, but he felt like they were, so maybe he's being paranoid. For him, he said it felt like the whole town was pretending to be a normal little village, but they weren't. It was some elaborate show or a game of some kind. So Vesson went into a shop to buy some socks, and the woman working there couldn't care less if he bought socks or not. She just wasn't bothered. Right. And I'm thinking, dude... You are in France. <laughs> like, why would they care about you at all? You're not French. You're English, for crying out loud. That's like the worst thing you could be in, in, in France. Again, they seem distracted. They seem uninterested, yet right. interested. Bezin is obsessed with this idea that the town is not what it seems, that they are pretending. But why? What do they have to hide? And at this point, it was very clear to me that this story is something of a template for my favorite Lovecraft story, mm-hmm. The Shadow Over Innsmouth. If you swap out cat people for fish people, it's kind of a similar thing. The idea that as you visit the town, there are furtive things going on just beyond your perception. Everybody's watching you. There's something odd about these people, but they're going through the motions for your benefit, maybe. Mm -hmm. It's a similar claustrophobic environment where the the storyteller is confronted with some kind of hybrid animal people in a town. You know, I mean, it's it's, it's definitely a huge influence on that story. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. However, I do think Shadow of Rinsmith does it much better and is way creepier than this. This doesn't feel too creepy. Sure. Well, like to your point earlier about the cat imagery and being so over the top with it, it's similarly a little over the top in Shadow Over Innsmouth, but nothing said overtly. Yeah. This smelled fishy. He had protuberant eyes, something scaly about the skin, you know, but just it was a little detail here and there. And you know, as a reader, what it's leading up to, but he doesn't insult you by saying, by the way, these people are fish men, you know, (laughs) but I don't want to take anything away from this because I I think it's cool. Vezin starts to notice other strange things about the town. First, that it's really quiet. Everyone walks with feet that make no sound Mm -hmm. like a cat's padded feet. Oh, okay. (laughs) Cat Pfeiffer, cat. Don't miss that. Cat, cat, cat. Uh Secondly, this languid vibe but ready to pounce. So he goes back to the inn, has a nice meal, goes to bed, dreaming of cats. Of course mm. he's dreaming of cats. Cats might be a clue in that. He's wandered in a cat town. That he's got a dream about cats. Well, if this cat stuff, I'm a little suspect of Vezin getting a good night's sleep. I think the black would miss some <laughs> opportunities here. He should have been woken up at 3 a.m. by somebody putting their littery paw in his mouth while he's snoring. <laughs> and then he should like get up to go to the bathroom and step in some vomit, which he then has to clean up in the dark and then he puts on that new fancy pair of socks he bought from the French woman then immediately steps in another well-hidden pool of vomit that would truly bring the horror home of cat town I thought you were going to say the innkeeper was going to sit on his face while he's sleeping (laughs) just get really close so chapter two what Vezin had planned to be an overnight trip turned into days and days in this town so he Mm -hmm. stayed there for a long time he didn't really do anything in particular he just kind of hung out I love this it was so great because getting off for the overnight trip that was a weird thing to do but under the right amount of pressure anybody might do that 
Sure. Staying indefinitely is really crazy for this guy. His mail's piling up at home. He's probably missing an appointment he made with the mechanic to do some preventative care on his car. <laughs> and it all comes down to decision making. It says yeah. he did nothing in particular, but the place fascinated him and he could not decide to leave. Decisions were always very difficult for him. And he sometimes wondered how he had ever brought himself to the point of leaving the train. It seemed as though someone else must have arranged it for him. Mm. Yeah, he's in this place where he can't make decisions and it's almost as if his fate is being controlled by some force. That was a cool way to explain his hanging around. He wanders the streets trying to figure out what everybody is so busy with, but he, he can't. Mm-hmm. And he also doesn't know what anybody actually does in this town like <laughs> as a job. Right. It says the people were as soft and mysterious as cats. But it's a good simile because I don't know how my cat makes a living. <laughs> it's kind of stuff you never find out. However, Bezin still feels like he's being watched. There's this one time when he's out uh, near a park and he sits down to hang out. It's totally empty. Within 10 minutes, 20 people were around doing their own thing, not looking at him. But where the hell did they come from? I, it's some Truman Show kind of stuff. They all seem busy when he'd seen them in the street earlier. But suddenly yeah. when he goes to this park... They all have time to hang out and play hacky sack. So I thought that was a really creepy, you know, invasion of the body snatchers kind of scene. He says they, the people did nothing directly. They behaved obliquely. Bezan also noticed old guys entering a room like cats, you know, looking around and kind of slinking <laughs> up against the wall. That's one of my favorite passages, how these old men entered the hotel, you know, to get dinner. First, they paused in the doorway, peering about the room. And then, after a temporary inspection, they came in, as it were, sideways, keeping close to the walls so that he wondered which table they were making for, and at the last minute, making almost a quick little run to their particular seats. And again, he thought of the ways and methods of cats. <laughs> like it's ridiculous at this point but those guys those old men are really wandering around like they really are doing cat imitations no no i get that but again he really doesn't need to have the sentence and again he thought of the ways and methods of cats like we, we get it it's an add world man he's just trying to keep you on you know sure. this is the imagery don't don't but, forget about but i don't it. feel like in the wendigo and and the willows, I don't feel like this was happening. You're mm. not being spoon-fed all this stuff, which uh, annoys me. Mm. Anyway, so Vesson follows some old women who round a corner, and when he f- goes around the corner himself, they're just gone, Batman style. No place is close enough for them to get to unless they ran at superhuman speeds. So Vesson is like, I don't know what that, this is beyond natural now. It's yeah. something weird and supernatural is going on. And then he hears some fighting on the other side of a wall and he goes around and sees that it's actually some women and girls in a heated discussion, which drops away when they see him. You know, they stop mm-hmm. fighting about whatever it is they were fighting about. And their voices, he thought, had sounded so like, so strangely like, the angry snarling of fighting animals. Almost of cats. (laughs) (laughs) So this strangeness was fascinating at first, (laughs) then it became annoying, and now he's frightened. Well, he's frightened, but it was getting a little absurd to me because if everybody is acting like a cat, at some point that's funny. I mean, that was like a whole Will Ferrell character that he used to do, was just a man acting like a cat playing with toys. yeah. Uh, now, he would follow these groups to see what they're up to, but again, they didn't really seem to go anywhere or do anything. Uh, the churches were all empty, so were the cafes, so he gets an idea. He says, can it be that these people are people of the twilight, that they live only at night their real life and come out honestly only with the dusk, that during the day they make a sham, though brave pretense, and after the sun is down, their true life begins? Have they the souls of night things, and is the whole blessed town in the hands of the cats? 
the hands of the cats. Cats got paws. Yeah. So anyway, uh, this idea made something deep inside of him awake. Something important was going on with him. Maybe his soul was hanging in the balance. And always when he returned to the inn about the hour of sunset, he saw the figures of the townsfolk stealing through the dusk from their shop doors, moving sentry-wise to and fro at the corners of the streets, yet always vanishing silently like shadows at his near approach. And as the inn invariably closed its doors at 10 o'clock, he had never yet found the opportunity he rather half-heartedly sought to see for himself what account the town could give of itself at night. À cause du sommeil et à cause des chats. The words now rang in his ears more and more often, though still as yet without any definite meaning. Moreover, something made him sleep like the dead. Mm, sleep like the dead, huh? <laughs> Doesn't happen here in my cat town. You know, obviously, aside from the cat from outer space, this story had me thinking about uh, cat people. Oh, yeah, yeah. That old Valdun film. Yeah, the one from the 40s. There's another one from the 80s that's uh, a little different. But check out, if folks haven't seen it, the old 1940s one RKO movie. It's wonderful. So is yeah. the sequel, Curse of the Cat People. But it is somewhat related to the story because the main character is an immigrant in America. Um, she's basically from this ancient sorcery's town mm-hmm. and she meets a man but she's afraid that if they get too intimate then this cat which thing inside of her is going to manifest it's been a long time since I've seen it yeah it's good you know they had about two dollars to make it so it's really all about atmosphere and I think that's the movie with the first jump scare oh they really had to take advantage of what they had and it's super effective I mean they are incredibly creepy sequences oh nice yeah, I'll have to. I'm going to rewatch that. I haven't seen that in a long time. Yeah, I think I might might give that a spin this week too while we're working on this because this is a longer story and it's going to take us two yes episodes to finish it off. So, folks, if you're not a subscriber, you know, think about doing it because otherwise you're not going to get to hear the shocking conclusion of Ancient Sorceries. No. It's only six dollars and sixty six cents every three months, and you get all the podcast goodness you can handle. Please get on board if you haven't done already. Yes, absolutely. And I just want to remind folks to please go to Chad Pfeiffer's Bandcamp website and check out Fear Boys with Bugs. It's some great punk rock, pop rock one. <laughs> and while you're putting stuff in your ears, don't forget to check out RachelWatchStarTrek.com to get the commentary of a Star Trek Luddite <laughs> that's clever and funny and makes us all feel good about ourselves. It sure does. And finally, I want to thank our reader. Greg Johnson. Greg Johnson, he's awesome, and check him out in Quiet and Bold, and Chad and myself as well. We're 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 yeah. in the, the Quiet and Bold. It's good stuff. So next week, more of the same. I'm Chris Lackey. I'm Chad Pfeiffer, and you've been listening to the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast at hppodcraft.com. HPPodcraft.com. Hp